Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy Morris on Riftwake, here today, this 31st of October, to talk about my favorite class, Warlocks. Uh, welcome to the first episode of our series on classes, starting with the Warlock Honestly, because it's Halloween and my favorite both, so I managed to kind of pressure Nathan into it, and I'm okay with that. So the first question, why would you want to be a warlock? So a theoretically simple question with a lot of potential answers. So warlocks are probably the spellcasting class that is easiest to play in theory. Technically, any spellcaster can get complicated with the sheer quantity of options that you have to play around with but warlocks have a benefit in that there is a cantrip called eldritch blast that they have access to that is pretty inarguably the best attack cantrip in the game and as a cantrip that is a spell that takes so little magic that it doesn't consume any resource if it's your turn you can use it you never have a bad attack option if you're a warlock with Eldritch Blast. Now, besides that, it also is a more survivable spellcasting class because it has a D8 hit die compared to the warlock and sorcerer's D6, which means on average, warlocks are just gonna have more hit points than a warlock, than a wizard or sorcerer. Uh, they're also a spellcasting class that has proficiency with light armor. So they'll have a little more AC, a little more hit points. They'll have a spell that they can attack with that range. So generally speaking, a warlock is a magic user that is made to be more survivable. So also besides that, I would say that warlocks are the king in that in a, being a class that you could technically play with one stat. It doesn't matter if every other stat you have is garbage. If you've got a decent charisma, you can play a warlock. So if you roll garbage for all of your stats but one, you could still be an adequate warlock. Uh, so besides the sheer usefulness of the abilities that you get as a warlock, also it's nice that because it is a charisma-based spellcasting class, it also means that you can be a more talky kind of character. Like you can have a good deception or intimidation or persuasion or performance even, I suppose. Although I can't imagine a scenario where you'd want to, but you could. And besides all of that, warlocks are a class with a lot of interesting lore behind them. The whole idea of you are a spellcaster that gets your magic by making a deal, a pact with an otherworldly patron which we'll get more into detail of shortly. Uh, before I actually talk about that, I want to talk more about the actual mechanics of what is different about a warlock's magic. Most spellcasters have spell slots that they get back uh, after expending them when they take a long rest. Warlocks are unique among magic users in that they get their magic back with a short rest which means it only takes an hour instead of a full night of sleep for a warlock to recharge their full spellcasting capability. On the other hand, the trade-off to that is that they don't have as deep a well as other spellcasters do. So instead of having 
dozens of spell slots. A warlock will only have between one or up to four for the entire life of the game. A warlock will never get more than four spell slots. But what is also interesting about it, besides the quick recharge, is that the spell slots themselves increase in potency. So it starts off at first level as just a single first level spell slot. But by the time you get to the mid-range of the game, you will instead have two fifth level spell slots, which is interesting also in that because of it being cast at a higher level by default, any spell that a warlock casts is cast at fifth level. So any attack spell that they cast is cast with more potency. Uh, Actually, I haven't even gotten into healing yet, so I probably shouldn't mention that. So any spell that a warlock casts is cast at fifth level potency at that point. So anything they do will be done more effectively, more targets, more damage, whatever the case may be. Uh, Now, when it comes to higher level magic, warlocks have a somewhat different system once again. Instead of having any spell slots for anything above fifth level spell casting, they have a different system called Mystic Arcanum, where for each spell level of six, seven, eight, nine, you pick a warlock spell of that level and then are able to just cast it once per long rest. So this way, it balances out Warlock's higher-level spellcasting with every other class in that you generally only get to cast higher-level magic once per long rest. So it does balance out in the end. Now, I mentioned a little while ago that you get your magic from your patron, your otherworldly patron. So there are supernatural entities throughout the D&D multiverse that are very powerful things that are not gods, but arguably equal or even greater than in some cases. So there are a lot of patron options, but I'm only going to go over them in terms of the roles that they grant your character. So honestly... Most Warlock patrons give abilities, might give a couple of extra spells, but I would argue that it is more just the lore behind the patron that is how most people will just end up picking them. There's only two exceptions, I would say, in that it significantly can change what the Warlock is able to do. And for those, first up, the Hexblade. You make a mysterious deal with a mysterious entity in the Shadowfell and get a whole lot of weapon options, which is not something you'd normally expect for a warlock. And besides getting proficiencies with armor and weapons and shields, what's even more interesting is that it lets you use your weapons with your charisma score. So you don't need to have a good strength or dexterity at all. And with that, combined with some of the abilities that you can pick later on, you can use that to actually be a really skilled either melee weapon combatant, or there's options even later to get uh, bow abilities. So you can actually fire off a magical longbow at ridiculous range even. Now, the other option that is rather interesting is the Celestial Warlock. And the Celestial, I would honestly say, is my favorite. 
because what that does, it is a deal with a holy being of some type, an angel or a unicorn, which is odd to me, but sure, that's what the book says. Apparently, unicorns are sentient enough to make magical bargains? Question mark? I, I guess. So, that's a thing, I guess. Anyway, but what's... What is interesting about the Celestial Warlock is that that gives access to radiant damage and more importantly, I would say healing. Healing magic for a warlock that recharges with a short rest. And that creates a lot of interesting opportunities, both mechanically speaking, to have healing magic in the party that comes back with a short rest and I would say that, that would create interesting lore opportunities for your world. So how... Well, actually, I have that written down farther down. Uh, interesting lore opportunities for the world, which we'll get into a little bit later on. Next up, there are invocations that you're able to pick from second level on throughout the life of your warlock. Eldritch Invocations are interesting little, almost mini feats that you're able to pick for Warlocks throughout that Warlock's life, starting at second level and going up throughout. And what's so interesting about them is that they really can tweak the abilities of your Warlocks in ways large and small. They can give you additional skills. It could give you additional damage. It could give you... Uh, the ability to use certain spells without consuming a spell slot at all, which means that you get magic at will, which gives a lot of interesting roleplay, combat, just opportunities. So there are a lot of interesting invocations, and that actually is another thing that I will go back to shortly. Uh, next up, though, it is incredibly important at third level, Warlocks get to pick a Pact Boon. So a boon is something that whatever patron you picked gives you to boost your abilities in some way, but it's not actually dependent on what patron you pick for what is your boon. So there are three to choose from. The Pact of the Blade, Chain, or Tome. And each of these packs unlocks additional invocation options in order to boost the abilities that each boon gives you. So Pact of the Blade, to start, allows you to conjure a magical weapon that you are proficient with. Now, if you pair that with the Hexblade, for example, then all of a sudden you're able to be proficient in any weapon you conjure instead of the limits that are usually put on the Hexblade. So this would allow you to conjure, say, a greatsword or a maul, or, if you pick the right invocation, a longbow. So if you suddenly then have an arcane archer, that's better than the official arcane archer, which, to be fair, isn't hard. So also with the Pact of the Blade, you're able to get an invocation that, besides just counting as a magic weapon, will actually give you a plus one on it. 
And considering the fact that if you're in a low magic world, having a cheat, quote unquote, to give yourself the abilities of a magic weapon without needing to find one is a considerably useful boon. Also, you're able to get additional necrotic damage as an invocation for a blade. You're able to get uh, extra attack as an invocation once you're fifth level. There are a lot of invocations that are specifically paired for all of the boons. Now, uh, moving on to the Pact of the Chain. Pact of the Chain lets you cast the Find Familiar spell. But instead of the usual options, it also allows you to pick a couple of magical creatures in addition to the normal mundane options. So you can get a pet imp to have your own little demon buddy. You could get a pseudo dragon. You can get a little dragon that can just sit on your shoulder and be adorable and awesome. With the right invocations, you can heal your maximum amount whenever you have your familiar within 100 feet of you. So if you have a healing spell cast on you, that would be 2d6 plus 3. It would automatically maximize to heal you for the full 15. You don't need to actually roll healing dice for yourself anymore, as long as your familiar is nearby. And can... Right? Like, the ability to not worry about how much you'll heal, but to not just get a middle amount, but to maximize how much healing you get... At all levels of the game, that's a very valuable thing. Now, there's another invocation, too, for Pact of the Chain, which allows you to communicate telepathically with your familiar anywhere on the same plane. So anywhere on the same world, you can still communicate with your familiar. And if you have, say, the imp as your familiar, an imp is a creature that can shapeshift and turn invisible and fly. So with all of that together, you have an invisible flying scout that you can communicate with from any distance, and that if something bad does happen to it, you can just conjure them right back up. No harm, no foul. So you can have a warlock build specifically to be a magical scout, and a damn good one at that. Also, uh, as I'm sure what is becoming a very familiar refrain to our regular listeners, action economy. If you have a familiar, even though it is restricted in that it can't attack without you using your action, it is still another creature on the field that is able to take a turn. So because of that, it can still help. Literally, you can have your familiar use the help action to grant advantage to yourself or an ally. And moving on to the third boon, the Pact of the Tome. <laughs> Honestly, this one's my favorite. I'll get into the Weiss shortly. Sorry. Um, so first off, what the, the benefit that the Tome itself gives you, you get to pick three cantrips from any class. So you can pick either utility abilities or extra attack spells. So particularly why I love that one, you can pick the Guidance spell from the Cleric list, which just lets you add a d4 to any ability check that you or whoever you cast it on makes. And as a cantrip, you can do it at will. So you just, anytime that you know that you need to make a check in advance, you get an extra d4. And who 
boy, does that usefulness add up over time. Now, actually, I mentioned that that was my favorite, but the why is honestly because of the, its invocation. There is an invocation for Pact of the Tome. Aspect of the Moon. You do not need to sleep. <laughs> that is awesome. Eight more hours in the day, or I suppose six hours if you follow the technical by the book uh, restrictions on the minimum for a long rest. But more hours in the day. That power is specifically why I don't care if I have to make a deal with a demon. If I, Remy, were in a D&D world and had the option to make such a warlock deal, if I could get that, I'd take the deal. I may be damning myself to eternal damnation, but I accept the consequences. And actually, uh, one more cool one. Not as cool as the other one in my eyes, but still cool. Uh, there's another invocation, actually, for Pact of the Tome that gives you ritual casting as a warlock, which would mean that you can find more spells out in the world and actually increase your versatility yet more as a magic user. So, with all of that being said, let's move on to talk a little bit more about the lore behind a warlock. So, the lore behind a warlock is that they dove into forgotten magics and eldritch such and such in order to find beings to grant them power. But exactly what that means is something that should have a little more wiggle room, in my opinion. So what does it actually mean to have a deal? Most players that I've ever really seen don't ever really talk to their DM or DM two players about, okay, I'm a warlock. What does that mean? Who, like, what demon do I have a deal with? What, what on the material plane would a Lovecraftian entity, an old one, want from a level one human who just made this deal? So what does it mean to be a warlock is something that DMs should plan out and players should ask of their DMs. Is it a situation of, oh, if I die, then I go straight to hell because a demon owns my soul? Well, fuck, that sucks. So what can I do about that then? Is there a divine counter of some type where I can keep my soul well, under my control? Or can I pray to a god somehow and see if they'll come on my behalf, even though I made this deal. Yeah, so in regards to, like, God's helping um, warlocks, I think that's a bit stupid, to be honest. It's like a case where it's like, hey, I made a, a, uh, I made a decision. All my ancestors made a decision. Well, fuck, it was a bad idea. Can you go and keep my uh, allow me to keep my powers and just remove all the bad shit? Now, that, that's, that's basically... Basically sounds like, hey, yes. can I have my cake and eat it? But, okay, to play devil's advocate once again then, if it's a deal that you're in because of a choice your ancestors made, what could they do? Who could they even ask to find out what is possible? Or did you make a deal? 
our warlock deals in your world something that can be handed down. So you could just be a fifth dimension, fifth dimension, uh, fifth generation is what I meant to say. Uh, fifth generation bargainer. Like, is a warlock deal something that can be passed down? So I and my heirs shall ever serve you, my lord. And if you're three centuries after that, you could have no idea where your powers come from. You just know I have powers and that's fucking awesome. So as a DM, I would argue that it is a thing that you should think about. What deals are made? What is it that is required of your character? If it's a demon who is active in the hells and on the plains, is it the kind of situation where they can just show up in the character's dreams and say, so uh, you're actually nearby a task that I need done. If you could uh, kill this paladin for me, that'd be great. And if you don't, I'm going to torture you for an extra century or so. So also, depending on exactly what it is that is making all of the deals for warlocks, it could also be a thing to consider. Is the deal known? So do you actually know who or what you even have a deal with? So that's one really cool option for warlocks is that if you allow any sufficiently powerful being to just empower a warlock, however is appropriate for their abilities, you can have there be, say, a demon that empowers a creature with a celestial pact. So it shouldn't necessarily spoil what you have a pact with based on what your otherworldly patron is on your character sheet. Like part of the fun of warlocks is that little bit of potential unknown or mystery of exactly what is my deal? What, who, or what is my patron? Or you can go the other way and have it be Ah, yes, I signed a contract with the devil on the seventh layer of the abyss. And I have a copy of my contract here in my bag. And it says specifically in ten pages of abyssal exactly what I am obligated to do and to whom and when. And if that is the kind of game you want to play, have at it. Generally speaking, every time everyone at the table is in agreement on the how of something, do that. So, uh, in summary then, there is a whole lot that a warlock is able to do and able to be. And I hope that all of you have fun with them. Happy Halloween. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast and even a shout on the show. Subscriptions begin at a dollar. Yeah, just a dollar. A dollar? <laughs> Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook, Ash Riffwake, and on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye! You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.